Welcome back to the Early Weigh-In Podcast. Last week we had UFC 264, an epic pay-per-view, man, from start to finish. Ended in a little bit of a uh, disappointing fashion there, but that actually makes the fourth pay-per-view in a row where we've seen someone uh, snap or break a limb there. But moving on to this week, UFC Vegas 31, headlined by an important fight in the lightweight division where we see Islam Makachev taking on Tiago Moises. Before we get into everything, make sure to do us a quick favor and hit that like button. And I'll give you the honors of quickly going over last week's card, man. Yeah, last week didn't really turn out the way that we wanted. We had our first bet of the night actually canceled, where we had the opening fight of the night with Hu Yizong. Um, We knew that that was going to be a good bet, we just didn't get to see that one play out. Uh, Then we had Trevin Giles against Drakus Duplessis. Mm -hmm. Drakus just showed up, man. I kind of thought that uh, his body language in that first fight was going to be detrimental against a veteran like Trevin Giles, but he, you know, kind of lulled Trevin Giles to sleep and caught him with a good straight right. Um, Then we had Stephen Thompson against Gilbert Burns, and our biggest play of the night just didn't happen. Gilbert Burns did what he had to do. You know, it was kind of boring, but you can't blame him. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's a tough puzzle to figure out. You got to give him props where it's due. Uh, Then we have Conor McGregor. You know, that's an interesting way to end a trilogy. He kind of, everything that he said wasn't going to happen, happened. First one to shoot, leave on a stretcher. Not the not what we like to see as yeah. Conor McGregor fans, but uh, I, I do think that they'll probably get another shot at it. Uh, hopefully, the Conor gets a warm up fight before he fights Dustin again. Yeah. Give him Tony, something like that, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that goes. Ultimately, I just want to forget about that night yeah. and move on. Um, our, it takes us to our first bet of the night, which actually starts in the heavyweight division, where we see Rodrigo Nascimento, who's eight and one, taking on. Alan, the Black Samurai Budo, who's 8-2. Rodrigo Nascimento is coming off of a big knockout loss, mm-hmm. his first loss of his career, and um, it kind of proved what we had saw beforehand. He's a little bit slow in the heavyweight mm-hmm. division, and I think that this line where it sits right now at minus 330 in Nascimento's favor, I think it's a little wide, man. I understand that Alan Budo might not be a, a true heavyweight um being being an ex-light heavyweight, not really having uh, a great record even coming into mm-hmm. the UFC, and uh, especially how he lost to Tom Aspinall. I could see how there's not a lot of positives in his favor, but he is training out of the MMA factory with Cyril Gaon, and he does offer some sneaky strikes. I mean, they're, they're super unorthodox, but that also means that they're tough to, to mm-hmm. you know, tough to deal with. You don't know what to expect. And somebody like Nascimento with those speed problems, I think, could get caught by somebody like Boudou and get surprised. So Boudou's uh, money line sitting at plus 260. You could get him inside the distance at plus 400 somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, that's how I'd like to play it. These guys are so low level that I don't think it'd be smart to lie, lay the chalk on Nascimento, even though he's probably going to win. How are you feeling? This is a fight for me. I've actually been kind of eager to bet since they uh, were scheduled the first time back in May. already had a bet on Nascimento uh, canceled. For me, I see a significant skill gap, um, like a lot of people probably do here on the ground. You know, Nascimento out of American Top Team, training with a slew of Brazilian heavyweight talent. Um, De Lima, Carlos Jr., you know, he's working with Juan Espino a whole lot. Um, and then Jiu-Jitsu God and uh, Marcus Almeida. You know, on the Contender Series, makes quick work of this guy on the ground. Comes in and gets a really tall striker in Dontel Mays. Um, you know, Alan Bodo, primary striker himself. He's had to deal with some, you know, some talent on the feet. Was able to drag it down to the mat, work his game, and ultimately submit Dantel. It is where in the Chris Dawkins fight that worries me, and it's it's the speed of Dawkins' strikes that you know short little check left hook that put Nascimento down. 
and ended up kind of being Chris Dawkins' breakout fight. You know, he got a top 10 opponent, Alexei Olenek, next. So I think the uh, UFC likes Nascimento here, and, um, you know, and you really look at who Nascimento's fault. I think they're all going to beat Alan Bodeau. You talk about him out of the MMA factory. To me, he's he's kind of like uh, Connor's Artem Lobov, you know, how he is to Cyril Gaon. You know, I'm sure he's getting a lot of work in there on a daily basis, but I'm sure he's not putting up too much of a fight to, you know, a guy fighting for the heavyweight title. But um, stepping in on short notice against Tom Aspinall there, and, you know, it was about a year and a half layoff. He went from 205 up to heavyweight. He had put on 50-something pounds, man. He weighs in at 255, so weighs in at heavyweight, you know, almost weight limit, and he doesn't look good physically. And So I am curious to see how it looks on the scale this time around. I was, I know it's a lot of weight to lose. You're asking a whole lot, but still curious at why he kind of stayed at heavyweight because I do feel like light heavyweight is his, you know, is the division he's going to be in. I look back at the, um, I think it's a Todd Stout fight, you know, at light heavyweight. It's a win on his record because Todd Stout um, fails from marijuana a couple days or nanograms of marijuana. But Todd Stout finishes him in third round after just a grappling clinic from start to finish. And saw how easy Tom Aspinall ran through him on the mat as well. And for me, I just, I see a big skill gap and I always lean to the guys who will have that skill gap on the mat. So it's a it's an easy bet for Rodrigo Nascimento. I've parlayed him with something on 264's card last week. But yeah, the, the money line for low-level heavyweights is, is definitely a bit wide and you don't, you don't get a lot better if you take him inside the distance either, to be honest. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I kind of go back to I think people are putting a lot of weight into Nascimento's ground game when in reality he's a brown belt. He's not this Rodolfo Vieira who's uh, exceptional mm-hmm. on the ground. And he has a 100% finish rate. I actually don't even think that he's seen around three where you look on Boudot's side and if he can outlast him, Boudot's actually finished a fight in the fifth round before. Mm-hmm. He's shown me that he can go those that distance, and that's something else that I kind of like in Boudot's favor as this fight drags out. It might be one of those things like uh, the Rodolfo Vieira fight coming mm-hmm. up where Boudot just has to survive those early onslaughts of Nascimento, and somebody like Nascimento coming off of his first loss of his career, there's a lot of stuff that he's got, a lot of questions he's going to need to answer in this fight, and that, and like you said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on him on the money line right here. For sure, and not typical of us to not... To not force a play on that first fight of the night like we like, but I do think we're going to probably pass here altogether. Dropping all the way down to our flyweight division for the second fight of the night, we see Francisco Figueredo, who's 12-3-1, taking on Malcolm X. Gordon, who's 12-5. Francisco, the brother of former flyweight champion Davidson Figueredo there, and I don't really know if fighting was always you know first priority for this guy, but he kind of really seemed to take it serious once he started seeing his brother have a lot of success, and when your brother's the champion, pull a couple strings for you, you know, you, you find your way into the UFC off of a draw yourself. He's supposed to be fighting Jimmy Flick here, who, you know, ended up retiring, and, and then J.P. Byes, who ended up getting hurt. So, Francisco's been in camp for a long time, man, but it, it could be worth the wait in getting maybe the easiest of the three here in Malcolm Gordon. Gordon trains out of Toronto top team there in Canada, and, you know, yet to find any success in the UFC. He's 0-2 and yet to escape the first round yet. Um, at flyweight, it kind of worries me because he does seem to be one of the chinniest fighters that I've seen yet. You know, the Sioux finish was a little crazy, almost kind of like Shane Burgos. You mm-hmm. know, his brain shut off a couple seconds after he took the shot. But, yeah, man, um, probably going to be a pass for me. And, uh, yeah, Figueredo's not deserving of this um, of this money line. And, uh, yeah, man, I don't even know if I can take him inside the distance either. How do you see this one? That's going to be a common theme of the night where I don't think that the – I think that there's some live dogs on this mm-hmm. card, man. I mean – 
Malcolm Gordon, he's not the best. And you're right, he's super chinny, and that that really worries me. Mm -hmm. That being said, we're looking at somebody in Francisco Figueredo who is not like his brother. He does not have that same type of power and athleticism that would make me worry um, against somebody like Gordon who is chinny. Um, Gordon, he has a black belt under George Brito, and he he does look to establish his wrestling game to to get his wins. Um, but I, I think that we're getting this price tag because he's on an L2 against two guys in Amir Albazi and Sumu Darshi that I think would smoke Francisco Figueredo, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think Malcolm Gordon's really getting... I don't think that this line's set because Malcolm Gordon's skill gap to Francisco Figueredo is so wide, but more or less just looking at the, uh, the trajectory of their career at this mm-hmm. certain time. Then you look at Figueredo, it's like he's holding on for dear life against Jerome Rivera, who's... 0-4 in the yeah. UFC now. I mean, it, it, it doesn't look good, and it's another one of these positions where in no way, shape, or form has he earned a 3-1 to favorite price tag, and it probably has a little bit of something to do with his last name as well. You know, you pay the price for it, just like you do with any Nurmagomedov on any fucking card. Um, there's a couple of things that Figueredo does that, that uh, would worry me. This is only a second time ever cutting to flyweight, and I think that that could be a real problem. You know, we've seen him fight, fight all the way up at uh, featherweight, and, um, you know, it's another one of those things where I wouldn't play him or I wouldn't put him in any parlays until after I've seen him weigh in, that's for sure. And um, I guess something working towards him is he's not afraid to cheat, just like his brother, man. <laughs> he is he is dirty. As you saw in the Souza fight, he'll double grab the fence to, to win position. He's... He, uh, he doesn't mind bending the rules a little bit. And in today's UFC, why not bend the rules, man? You can hit whoever in the back of the head, cage grab. You're going to get away with it and not get a point deducted. So that's another kind of X factor that Figueredo will take advantage of that you've got to play into your, your pick. Um, I, I honestly think that it's it's wide, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be playing Gordon here. Yeah. You know, uh, He hasn't really shown me anything to want to back him. Um, I just think that the line's wrong, mm-hmm. but I, I'm okay with completely laying off of it. Yeah, man, I'm right there with you. You hit all the, the points on the head about the weight cut, him only beating Jerome Rivera in the UFC, and, and, and come round three, got really interesting there. Mm-hmm. Um, those figure brothers, they do have a hard weight cut down to 125. Um, he kind of likes to play the range game a little bit, you know. I think Malcolm Gordon is going to have to try to close some of that distance a little bit. Figueredo does kind of fight long with the straight lefts, and he's good about... Um, you know, initiating that clinch and getting you down with some trips, the body lock. But, you know, Malcolm Gordon, half of his pro wins come by submission. He is a black belt. He's pretty dangerous on the mat, too. And, and Amir Albazi, you know, um, jiu-jitsu world champion or tournament winner, you know, he's stiller on the mat. And then Sumu Darji is, um, you know, he's striking his next level, especially in the flyweight division. And you, I think that you touched the, perfectly on the line, being a more reflection of that. And, um, and I'm right there with you. It's kind of a dogger pass here, but... Not only has he been finished there, but you know he's been finished in all five of his losses. So you've even got lower level guys kind of finishing Malcolm Gordon. So it does scream um, completely pass altogether, and probably what it's going to be. And you talk about the finishes that both guys have. It's reflected in the line where we mm-hmm. have one twenty fivers, and the yeah. fight doesn't go the distance of is like a minus one sixty. That's nuts. You Under know? two and a half is minus one thirty. Almost know? on principle, yeah. we want to play the the fight goes to decision at plus one thirty, yeah. plus one forty, and uh, be you know, flyweights. Yeah, yeah. Make the make the odds makers pay. I heard that. We move up the weight class to the Bantamweight division where we see Anderson Dos Santos, who's 21-8, and eight, taking on Miles Chapo Johns, who's 11-1. and one. Anderson Dos Santos, he's 
pushing 36 years old. Mm -hmm. He's coming out of Bubuino Gold Team in Brazil, and uh, he kind of has an old school style of fighting. You know, he, he's kind of like any of those uh, wrestlers back in the day that used just huge sloppy overhand mm -hmm. rights to set up his takedowns. And if he doesn't hit one of those big overhands or get the takedown, he's kind of lost, you know? Miles mm -hmm. uh, Johns, on the other hand, he comes out of Fortis MMA, and I think he has so many more paths to victory here. One, his wrestling game is, is up to snuff, mm -hmm. and I think if he winds up on top, this could be a pretty easy night for him, especially if he can get Anderson Dos Santos to the ground and control him. Um, I do also think that Miles Johns has the striking advantage here. You know, I mm -hmm. think that as long as he can keep this on the feet, he's athletic enough to keep it at range. We saw that big power in his last fight mm -hmm. against Kevin the TV Dad, where I know that we cashed yep. um, and kind of proved some haters wrong on that <laughs> one. Um, as far as a 135-pound fight goes, this is pretty low level. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that both these guys' ceilings is probably uh, right at the brink of the number 15 mm -hmm. spot, but they're ne probably never going to break it. Um, so I. I, I Probably am going to stay away from this fight unless Miles Johns gets into the minus 150 range. I think that's when I'd play him. How are you yeah, feeling about it? Same with you in the side with Miles Johns. Uh, out of Fortis MMA, much more, uh, you know, better coaching, better training partners. And what you're seeing on the Anderson Dos Santos side, and they've also always got Miles Johns in tip top, incredible shape, man. You see him coming there with phenomenal cardio um, and spent a lot of time in LFA uh, and early in his pro career. Actually, has a win in a five round fight. Um, over Adrian Yanez, another great Bantamweight prospect right now. And and you're right in the Kevin Natividad, good fight for us. Uh, he he got to bounce back from his knockout loss, kind of dominated that fight, uh, going to be a 30-27 up until that nice uppercut in the third round. I think uh, what he had in that Natividad fight is, is what he's going to have here. He was fighting a guy, a ball of muscle, where you know he's much cleaner, he's much crisper, and, and a whole lot faster with his hands and with his takedowns here. And that's the key with Miles Johns. I mean, he's always mixing in those takedowns, which opened up his boxing even more. And the guys we've seen Miles Johns struggle with, you know, Batista, five foot nine, you know, Cole Smith in the split decision. He's a five eleven bantamweight. It's just not going to be the case here with Anderson Dos Santos, who's you know five foot five, a little short ball of muscle here. Um, Dos Santos, man, he's got ton of good forward pressure, which in a small cage with John's tendencies to kind of be the one who backs up on the outside, not taking the center of the cage. That does worry me a little bit because that's where Dos Santos does his best work with letting his hands go and, and shooting in that double. He's um you know he's a BJJ black belt. He's super heavy on top, and you can't really make any mistakes when you're down on the mat with him, and, and you can't leave your neck out when you're going to take him down. We've seen him you know upset the night over young Ricky Simone at one time in his career um, with the choke. So you know Anderson Dos Santos, he is um, he is stellar on the mat here, man. And, Losing to Andre Yule, to Nier Imani, um, and your only real win coming to Martin Day where you catch a guillotine who Martin Day's 0-4 in the UFC. It, it's really, really low-level competition that he's beating and losing to. And if you want my God-honest opinion, man, one fight in two years, almost a 36-soldier Brazilian, screams cardio issues in my book, man. And, and I do side with Miles Johns, and I would love for that line to get down that um, toward that range so we could play Miles Johns. Mm. Staying in the Bantamweight division, we see Khalid Taha, who's 13-3, and taking on Sergey Moroz, who's 16-4. and Khalid Taha, a bit of a German wrestling background there. Um, man, he's built like a little tank, and you know it's his striking power that scares a lot of guys and has you worried. He is managed by the famous Ali, so you know if he's out there landing the more damaging shots but giving up a few takedowns, be ready for a really greasy decision being read from those judges, man. 
He's looking to bounce back from a pretty difficult fight where he kind of got beat pillar to post, man, in all facets of the game after popping by USADA, sort of a little punishment maybe, you know, given Bahani Barcelos on your return. On the side of uh, Morozov, uh, spent the last month down in American Top Team, training a lot with Zalgas Dumagulov, who we saw, you know, get his first UFC win on Saturday. And he comes from that M1 scene, man, you know, where they, they fight tough competition and you know, they're really underrated fighters, in my opinion, coming over to the UFC. His last two fights before, they were scheduled for five rounds. And this is one of the toughest fights to cap, honestly, and uh, on the card for me. You know, I say that, and Taha's going to come out here and just dust him. But I, I really do think if Sergey gets the wrestling going, he uh, is a very live underdog here on Saturday. What about yourself? Yes, yeah, so I've seen you and a lot of people on the Sergey Morozov side. And understandably, yeah. man, after doing tape study... I think he has a really good shot. I think he has all the technical advantages, mm -hmm. if I'm being honest. You know, we look at, at his record. He's been fighting professionally for 14 years now, and he's 32 years mm -hmm. old. Um, he, like you said, he's coming out of that great camp at American Top Team, and the M1 Global scene's an excellent way to kind of build your resume up and right. get that fight experience that you need to step into the UFC. He went 11-2 and in the in M1 and actually lost his belt to Mavsar Evluev, who is awesome man you <laughs> know he's undefeated <laughs> yeah he, he's amazing and he's uh it's okay to lose to yeah. somebody like that um with the championship round experience i think that he's gonna have a lot of uh even fight iq advantages against taha you know you take a step back and just kind of look at taha's situation objectively you're looking at a guy who was on a ped suspension you already were kind of worried about mm -hmm. how he was going to come back and then he takes an ass whooping of a lifetime against rioni barcelos I'll, I'll admit that he kind of, um, you know, he kind of proved that he wasn't slowing down any right. after coming back from that suspension, but it's an awful fight to come back to and uh, really get your ass whooped, you know? I think that he could come out here a little bit more hesitant, maybe starts a little bit slower, and Sergey's not somebody that you want to try and, uh, y you know, let let him establish his game plan. He's one of those guys that does really, really well with mixing in takedowns, and although he's not really known for holding guys down, that's just kind of what you get at those lower weight classes. Mm -hmm. It's tough to hold them down, especially with a ball of muscle, like you said, against Khalid Taha. Um, Morozov, one thing that I do like about him is you've seen him in a couple of really bad situations in the Josh Reddinghouse fight and the Umar Nurmagomedov fight where he's in a dangerous situation mm -hmm. of getting finished, and you see him very, very calm in that pocket under pressure, and that's something that I think could really benefit him against somebody like Taha, who's going to come in there, guns a-blazing. If, yep. uh, if he does see sense a finish or anything else, he is going to come for your head, and uh, that's something that I think will benefit Morozov, just being a, a more experienced fighter here. Um, getting him at plus money is the only reason why I'm taking him. I think that this is a coin flip fight, but as long as this stays above... Um, even money for Morozov, I think it's a safe bet and a good one. Yeah, man, for Taha, I'm just um, there's a lot of question marks surrounding him because his debut, it's in his backyard, but it's up at featherweight, you know, so not even his ideal weight class, and he just gets grappled by Nadir Mani really easily. Um, another thing, you know, case for me to make for Sergey there, he comes back against Bruno Silva at 135. Man, he misses weight, and that's when he pops by Usada, you know, so it's like again, like. Is that really a fair account for him? I know you does Boston Salmon in under 30 seconds, but um, what what happens if that fight goes on, you know? And then after you take it, you come back to, like you said, one of the most difficult fights where nothing's working for you. I do see the wrestling path for Sergey. I don't think Sergey has a big, like, finishing upside, you know, after after what we've seen Barcelos just do to Taha. Man, the guy's proven he's durable as can be, and, and uh, Morozov, um, by decision, man, 
is sitting at a plus 245. And I think that's probably the line that I'm looking to play, but I also don't want to get greedy and pass up my plus money already. We move down to the strawweight division where we see Amanda Lemos, who's 9-1-1, taking on Montserrat Conejo Ruiz, who's 10-1. Amanda Lemos, you know, personally, I think she's probably the best 115er outside of the top 10 Mm -hmm. right now. Um, After her last fight, man, she's going to be a tough matchup for anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it is very rare that you ever see a girl move the way that she does and you know i know we've talked about it there's a perfect comparison for her and it is davison figueredo yeah. dude i mean even the way she stands you know she she has a broad chest facing forward and almost kind of baits her opponents into throwing because she knows that she's athletic enough mm-hmm. and fast enough to to dodge out of the way and counter it you know she she brings this type of power for 115 pound girls that's just kind of unreal and mm-hmm. you saw it in the power jab she landed on Lindana yeah. Souza. I mean it's a it's it's tough to overlook and that's why she's a minus 500 here against Ruiz who um you know really might be getting punished here by the UFC. Yeah. She she came in and kind of ruined a lot of people's nights nights against Cheyenne Bays. Um but my takeaways from that fight was that she's super hittable and outside of her toughness I think that she's in for a long night how you feeling about this I'm right there with you man and and the reason you see this power with Lemos is you know the girl's a fucking ex-bantamweight you know she's tearing the girls in Brazil up at bantamweight and comes into the UFC as a bantamweight on short notice where um you know Leslie Smith who we just saw fight cyborg at 145 she's five foot nine you know she showed her that um, at the highest level, Amanda Lemos, you're not a bantamweight. Mm-hmm. We saw Lemos disappear for a couple years, and we see her show back up two and a half years later. Not a flyweight, but man, that fucking strawweight, and she is ripped. Uh, comes in with Miranda Granger. You see that strength again, man. She's off to the side and finishes the rear naked choke. She's not even on the back. And coming in against Mizuki Anu, drops her first round. And, you know, she did spend a little bit uh, you know, more time push against the cage than I like to see. But man, um, outstruck Mizuki all three rounds, and any time that that fight was separated, Mizuki was, um, you know, was in for a tough night, and mm-hmm. we cashed big on the under in that Sosa fight. You know, I really do think we might have been the only ones tracked on Bet MMA playing that under two and a half mm-hmm. at like plus two hundred. And you're right, man, Limos made it absolutely easy on the side of Ruiz. I, I do believe she trains out of Kings MMA and. On her Instagram the other day, uh, not the other day, man, a week ago already, she she was saying that she's 117 pounds already, and um, at five foot tall, I don't, you know, I don't really doubt it. I, I expect to have her a good gas tank. It's not the um, not the weight you want to be fighting someone in Amanda Limos who's going to be extremely strong in there. And and you're right, a punishment fight for what she did to the UFC's little princess and Cheyenne buys. And um, I, I don't know, man. Uh, outside of that headlock, the little kissing Katami position, she's. She's got, I know she's got the Mexican national wrestling chops and stuff like that. And, and one takedown, it, it, you know, she usually does keep you on the mat. But, man, I, I think Lemos is better on the mat and twice as good on the feet. And, um, you know, I think we've already got Lemos in two plays, but maybe even looking to take her inside the distance at plus money. You bring up a great point about uh, Ruiz coming in at 117 pounds and only being five foot. You hear that and you think that she'd be five foot in a ball of muscle. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, really. she's she's kind of got a mom bod. Yeah. And she, she looks, fi- she's still feminine where Amanda Lemos, you know, no. 
Nah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's an athlete. Yeah. That's all that I see whenever I look yeah. at Amanda Limos. Um, so I, I'm with you. There's just not anything that I see Ruiz having an advantage in here. And she's going to need the strength to get that scarf hold mm-hmm. on uh, on Limos like she did the, the last two fights. Yeah, we do have Limos in a parlay with someone, um, I do believe, in the next fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the big play we've made on Limos, man, we, you know, on five dimes, we saw it open at a plus 100 for fight doesn't go the distance. Sharps hammered it immediately, man, down to a minus 175. And as soon as that opened, we had access to it on Bet Online. Man, we did take fight, doesn't go the distance at even money. Um, so, two big plays there on the main of limos and mm-hmm. maybe a third. Yes, sir. Our prelim main event is in the welterweight division where we see Daniel Rodriguez, who's 14 and 2, taking on Preston Parsons, who's 9 and 2. D Rod looks to have done a lot of this camp over at Syndicate MA in Vegas, where he was working a lot on the wrestling chops, you know, getting prepared for Abubakar and and man, we all over Abubakar is sitting mm-hmm. at a pick of odds here, but, um, you know, unfortunate for us, but, you know, fortunate for D-Rod here, Preston Parsons basically stylistically brings in the same kind of fight that Nurmagomedov was, grappling heavy. He's a newcomer here, taking on about 10 days notice, trains out of Elevate MMA down in Jacksonville, and, you know, what we've seen so far from him, man, is just, he's bulldozed right through all of his opponents, all finished all of them, um, you know, all nine wins, inside the distance, all in the first round, I do believe, and, been a pro since he's 19 so he's been fighting pro for six years already um and, and i really do think um you know he could there's winnable fights for this guy in the ufc without a doubt but i am going to side with that of daniel rodriguez and roll with the favorite and going to be our second parlay piece who was the last fight we just talked about in amanda limos man yeah so you know you talked about parsons never really seeing the judges and, and coming in with all these first round wins uh, that's all nice and, and, and fine, but really we don't know what he's going to look like in that second round. And against somebody like Daniel Rodriguez, where we've seen him overcome some some tough spots, right. like in that Dwight Grant fight, mm-hmm. he overcame it. And that's something that I really like to see and definitely raised his stock, in my opinion. Um, he's a Daniel Rodriguez is a southpaw that, while it's on the feet, man, he throws some of the hardest shots yeah. that I see at 170 pounds. And then on top of that, he also has some some Brazilian jiu-jitsu of his own. Like you're not you're not going to submit Tim Means and, and not be a legitimate right. uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist. I, I think Preston Parsons he really does only have one path to victory. But that being said, you know you talked about him training out of Elevate MMA. And he's the owner of the gym and the head coach. Like that is his only way to victory. And it's kind of like Chase Hooper, where you've got to respect that his submission game is an x factor Mm -hmm. and if it does get to the ground which i'm uh, sure parsons is going to be more than willing to do um it's it it could get a little tricky you know um we have put daniel rodriguez in a parlay uh, with amanda limos and i feel comfortable with it Mm -hmm. um, but i do think that that's the weaker leg of that parlay obviously and we see that in the in the odds (laughs) as well um i there's a big thing that parsons I, i think is going to have a disadvantage in and that's just going to be i don't think he's a true welterweight man mm-hmm. he's he's five foot eleven and he weighs in two pounds under the limit pretty much every single time that he weighs mm-hmm. in um i can't imagine that accepting this fight on short notice that he wasn't drifting right around that weight coming into this fight so you can expect daniel rodriguez to have a 10 15 pound weight advantage mm-hmm. which i think will definitely play in his factor especially or play in his advantage especially if uh it does wind up on the ground um, a lot of reasons why we're picking Daniel Rodriguez, but it's uh, it's much easier to just say, I think Daniel Rodriguez is the all-around better fighter here. 
and uh, we're getting him at a pretty decent price tag at minus 250. Yeah, I really like what I see, especially on the feet from D-Rod. His boxing is so clean, and he doesn't telegraph anything. He's not loading up for those big shots. Everything's always in, in combination, and you're right, overcame some adversity in that Dwight Grant fight, which you love to see. And on the side of Preston Parsons, you know, um, this guy started fighting, like I said, super, super young, and at 20 years old, three fights into his career, he's thrown in there with Mike Perry, who dust him first round. And, you know, at 21 years old, a year later, he's fighting a 32-year-old grown man, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, who submits him. And, you know, Preston Parsons, the two losses, I can excuse him for, you know. And, and we do see him with the win over Ignacio Bajo Mendez with an easy first-round sub, who's on the UFC roster. So, like I said, winnable fights going for Preston Parsons going forward. Bad matchup for him here. You know, he just fought at the beginning of June. Um... A lot of fighters, you know, after they fight, you know, they like to partake in some, you know, not really strict dietary and stuff, you know, drinking, um, not really eating the best. And they're definitely not water loading like you talked about, um, you know, to be a big welterweight in the cage on fight night. He's fought some super low-level competition. The last guy he beat, lost three of his last four, was on a two-year layoff. The guy before that was 9-16. and 16. These guys are not D-Rod, man, and, and really the more I think about it, the more justified the minus 250 is. Yeah, this will be the first time that Parsons comes in as an underdog, and you know, you talk about Rodriguez maybe having some, um, some, some knocks on him, and it's probably because we see two losses on his mm-hmm. record, and those coming relatively, uh, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people online I know that are saying that he's 16-0, and 0. Um, as a Dalby backer in that fight, I'm okay with him being 14 and two. But I, I do think that he could be 16 and 0 coming in here, and I think that if his record uh, was that, that it would be reflected much more in this price tag that we're getting him at only minus 250. Yeah, man. So the more, like I said, the more I talk about it, the more confident I am. D Rod takes this one on Saturday. Kicking off the main card, we go to the featherweight division where we see Billy Corintio, who's 15 and three, taking on Gabriel Magli Benitez, who's 22 and eight. Billy Quarantillo, you know, he spent this camp at Gracie Baja in Tampa um, training a lot with Matt Frivola, which, you know, we're big fans of Steamrola. Um, Quarantillo, he's, uh, he's got a little bit of Homer Simpson in him, man. You know, he's a lot of people's third-round moneymaker, and uh, he takes a lot of damage before he can kind of implement his game plan. Um, he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he has great cardio and great volume, which is how he wins his fights, you know? Um, you look over at Gabriel Benitez, and he trains out of America, a.k.a., um, but for this fight, I really haven't seen any evidence on that on his Instagram, so if he is, he's doing it in silence, um, but if he's not, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, look good to me, especially when you consider his past scheduled fight back in May against Jonathan Pierce, where he came in five pounds over, and that's either because he, it's not an easy weight cut, or he's not disciplined mm-hmm. enough, and, and not seeing him in the gym working out, like, on Instagram, that... That gives me more reason uh, to want to bet somebody like Billy Quarantillo, which we've already laid a unit on. Um, I think that Quarantillo, the longer the fight goes on, the better for him. Yep. Um, I, I, I personally am happy with our play at Billy Q at plus 172. Uh, we've seen that line drop yeah. kind of dramatically, and so I'm happy that we got in on it early. How you feeling? For sure, man. Uh, Billy Q, always in insane shape, excellent volume, cardio that, like you said, really does tend to break these guys late. He's got great size for the featherweight division, and, and all that combined, um, especially at plus money, makes him one of my favorite fighters to back here. Um, he got his name on the contender series where he got that third round finish after he just broke Camuela Kirk, you know, in the end of the second round. I think it was a 10 8 that second round and ultimately got to finish that third round. And we've seen Camuela Kirk, you know, come to the UFC now and get a win. 
found a whole bunch of success. I think that put him on like a seven fight win streak, man, before he ran into Gavin Tucker. And I mean, I think we backed Billy Q there and honestly, you know, looked like we didn't know what we were talking about. Gavin mm-hmm. Tucker beat this guy um, from start to finish. Anytime Billy Q stepped into range, he ate something and, and Gavin Tucker even landed a couple takedowns of his own. And I, I know I told you earlier, I think that's the best Gavin Tucker that we will ever see um, in the octagon. And we'll stand by that. On Gabriel Benitez's side, I mean, Ultimate Fighter Latin America Season 1, you know, he debuted all the way back at UFC 180. Um, he's a dangerous striker. You know, he's nasty from Southpaw with the straight left. And Billy Q showed a lot of um, flaws with that, um, defending that against Gavin Tucker. And But it's really the kicks that Mowgli is, you know, known for. He, he really tears up that lead leg. Um, and then he'll switch levels with it and go to the body, switch it to a knee, which we saw send Justin Janes flying across the octagon and you know Mowgli's dangerous on the feet he's amounted a six and four record in the UFC in his time being there um, man you look at all six of those people he's beat and, and none of these guys are on the roster and, and I think Billy Q would be a significant favorite over all six of those guys and you look at the four people um, you know that he's lost to I know Zadik Yusuf's um, you know top 15 but Omar Morales and Feely Enrique Barzola you know um even when he takes that slight step up in competition, these guys get the better of him. And his last two spent fighting at lightweight. So when he tried to make that cut back to featherweight, it did not go as well, man. And don't really blame Jonathan Pierce for not taking that fight. I guess it's smart when you're um, you know, a young fighter trying to build your career up not to take a, a short-notice one where a guy misses weight like that. But That being said, he hasn't been rescheduled yet. Right. So. I think stylistically is why I like Billy Q so much at a plus 180. He's got that forward pressure that's really going to negate um, a lot of those kicks Mowgli's going to have. He's going to make Mowgli be on the back foot and, and then combine that with the weight issues and the cardio of Billy Q. I think it's uh, stylistically a really good play and at plus 170 was surprised to, to see it sit there for so long. Uh, one other thing I'd like to note is I think if that Gavin Tucker fight never existed, that this would be lined so much differently. Opposite, maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah. even opposite, because I do think that Billy's Billy's style really plays mm-hmm. into the into this fight. Um, the Gavin Tucker fight, he just got bullied against uh, with somebody who was just a, a ball of muscle. He was Gavin a minus one fifty five going into that fight. Yeah, that's nuts. So, like like we said, if this if that fight didn't exist, I think this would be mm-hmm. lined much closer. So that only. Uh, gives me better better feelings that we played uh, Billy Q at plus 172. Agree with you. Next fight in the middleweight division, we see Rodolfo Vieira, who's 7-1, taking on Dustin Stolfus, who's 13-2. Rodolfo Vieira training out of Fusion XL down in Florida, also doing a little bit of work with the Lima brothers as well there in Atlanta. He's a multiple-time world jiu-jitsu champion, man, up at heavyweight at absolute. This guy is enormous for 185 pounds. On the side of Dustin Stolzfus, you know, um, on the German regional scene, fighting in an organization called We Love MMA, and I honestly, uh, I take that about as serious as I do Alaskan FC. <laughs> uh, he's been training at Germany as well, but the last couple, um, you know, weeks and stuff, getting the final touches at Syndicate MMA. Went to college at MTSU, just a couple, you know, not too far from us, little hometown love there for him. But, man, the guy started training MMA in 2012. Vieira had eight gold medals already in 2012. This fight reminds me a whole lot of the fight that we broke down just a couple weeks ago in Moicano and Jai Herbert. Jai Herbert turns pro in 2016. There's just no way you can make up that skill gap on the mat. And I really do think if the cardio is ever so slightly fixed, Rodolfo Vieira gets him down in the first round and submits him. So I'm going to go with the big favorite here in Rodolfo. I'm going to lean with the first round submission. So I know. I, I think you see it a little different. I, I gotta disagree with you, man. I uh, 
Rodolfo Vieira was my biggest fade and probably my, my best call to yeah. date this year. Um, Fluffy Hernandez, one of the biggest reasons why I picked him against Rodolfo Rivera, uh, Vieira was that he was able to outlast uh, Brendan Allen in a previous fight. Brendan Allen's a huge body, uh, primary grappler, and Fluffy Hernandez was able to not get submitted. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really what's making this play for me in the Stolzfus fight. And I can break it down just that easy. In the Kyle Dawkins fight, Stolzfus, yeah, he got controlled. And that's okay. He can be controlled. I just need him to survive Two and a half (laughs) minutes, yeah, a minute and a half for for Rodolfo Vieira because I don't think that it's something that he can fix. He's 31 years old, and I think for whatever reason, whenever he is forced to to strike, um, his his muscles fill up faster. He's he's nervous. I'm not really sure what it is, but as far as I'm concerned, in this upper echelon of competition, uh, cardio is one of the best things, one of the most important things you could possibly have. And I think somebody like Stolzfus, who although hasn't really been tested. Um, he has shown that he can go to decision with a UFC talent in Kyle Dawkins, which is way more than, than uh, Rodolfo Vieira has shown mm-hmm. me. Um, even in Rodolfo Vieira's wins against P- Pichota and Safarov, I mean, he is, he is a couple of minutes from, from losing those fights. You know, I, I mean, the, the tides were turning, and if, he didn't ha- if it didn't finish in the, in the first round, second round in that Oscar fight, um, I think the same thing's gonna happen. So I, I, I do I do like Stolzfus here. I, I know that it's um, kind of a, a reach, but if you're gonna bet Stolzfus, bet him inside the distance mm-hmm. at plus four twenty five. You're seeing his his money line at like plus one ninety is around the best line that you could possibly get him. Vieira's not going to see the judges. Mm-hmm. If you're betting Stolzfus, just bet him inside the distance and, and sit back and enjoy it because I think that we're gonna see Vieira shit the bed again. And I think he's an, a parlay buster as well. Yeah, man, looking back on it, when your two UFC opponents are Oscar Payota and Safarbek Safarov, you know, um, I do kind of feel like an imbecile not laying at least a little bit on a mine or a plus 300 in Anthony Hernandez, mm-hmm. but I definitely did not see that plus 3,000 ticket of submission cashing on, you know, the multiple time jiu-jitsu world champion. Um, I think it is really that weight cut, man, that that's really does it for his cardio because he's a lifelong grappler, man. You know, the cardio issue shouldn't be there, but he is competing at absolute and up at heavyweight where he's not cutting the amount of weight that he is here. So I, I think that's what takes a toll on the cardio, and he did post a big old Instagram post after that last fight, literally with no answer as to why he gassed that quick. So And he really said it, it shocked him. I credit it to the weight cut, you know. On the side of Stolzfus, though, man, um, you, you know, Vieira's takedown literally came 10 seconds into the um, into the Fluffy Hernandez fight, and I don't think Dustin Stolzfus can survive that. He's not had the 15 minutes with Brendan Allen and stuff to, to withstand that and have it. This is going to be the first time he's running into a legit um, legit black belt, and I don't think he makes it out of the first round. So, personally, I think that we can say that Kyle Dawkins is legit on the ground. I mean, the majority of his wins are coming by submission, eight of his nine wins coming by submission, and for Stolfus to be able to outlast him on the ground I think is enough to prove it you talked about Vieira coming into shape they're looking in shape on Instagram but he always does and the style that he has is to get a power double leg and use that strength and I think his answer for why his his cardio sucked is because it's an adrenaline dump man he thinks that he he doesn't like getting hit in the face he's never been hit in the face before now if he doesn't get it right off the bat he's freaking out I think that that's what we're gonna see I think that that's what we're gonna see here again it's it's tough for me not to see it go a different way I think I think Rodolfo Vieira might be a bust here I feel you but I definitely can't compare Kyle Dawkins' and 
Rodolfo Vieira's black belts. Oh, no, no, no. But I also wouldn't compare Brendan Allen's black belt to Rodolfo Vieira's, and that's the reason why I chose Fluffy Hernandez in the last one. It's because he was able to outlast Brendan Allen. So that's kind of where I'm getting it. He just needs to last. I'm not saying that Stolzfist has any chance on the mm-hmm. ground. He just needs to survive, and then and, uh, it'll look different. If he does make it out of the first round, big potential for a live bet um, yes, on Dustin yes. Stolzfist on Saturday. Mm-hmm. We move on to the lightweight division where we see Matus Gamer Gamrot, who's 18-1, and one, taking on Jeremy the Little Heathen Stevens, who's 28-18. and 18. Uh, Matus Gamrot, you know, he's been working with Mike Brown at American mm-hmm. Top Team, and he comes to us from KSW where he was the, both the featherweight and lightweight champion. He's a Polish and European grappling champion, and man, he is a, a treat to watch, yeah. man. Um, when it comes to the striking, he's, uh, he's got some really good stabbing jabs and he, a really unpredictable movement side to side. And then whenever it comes to the wrestling, you know, you see glimpses of those upper echelon wrestlers like Habib or Burns even in the mm-hmm. last fight with Wonderboy where he can cover an amazing amount of distance so quickly yeah. and uh, it can really catch his opponents off guard. And then to, to top it off, a gas tank to boot, man. Mm-hmm. I mean... He is a, a problem for just about anybody in this weight class, and that especially rings true to Jeremy Stevens, who mm-hmm. um, has not looked great in his past <laughs> few fights. You know, he's training out of the boxing club in Alliance MMA in San Diego, California, and he does have the the fourth most fight time in UFC history at six hours and thirty minutes. And honestly, I think that it's uh, it's starting to come to an end here. Mm-hmm. That's starting to really wear on him. Um, I think that it's you know it's been nearly a decade since Jeremy Stevens has fought a true wrestler, and uh, Gamrot kind of represents, uh, or I'm sorry, a true wrestler at lightweight, mm-hmm. and uh, Gamrot kind of represents this new wave of lightweights who has the right. size along with the wrestling chops. Um, I think that Jeremy looks to KO you with every single fight, every single punch that he throws, which is going to play right into Gamrot's yep. game plan where he looks to level change. And I think that this should be an absolute slaughter fest. With you, man. Four units already released on Gamrot. Mm-hmm. Betty MGM hanging that minus 200 line out there and uh, went ahead and took that. You're right, the KSW, man. Great opponents for him to fight over there in Poland as well. He, he goes in there four fights into his pro career and amounts a 14 and 0 record there. And the last four fights before coming into the UFC, all scheduled for five rounds. We've seen him go the distance. We've seen him get championship round finishes. Um, I really like that in the terms of him facing a guy who's coming up a weight class and mm-hmm. Jeremy Stevens. We did back Matus Gamrot um, in his debut. We've seen these things we like from him from a long time now. Um, unfortunately, it didn't hit. Um, you know, And we're all right with the way that that decision was read, but ultimately it does suck to hear Kutateladze think he lost that fight. But man, played him again over, you know, when he uh, was fighting Scott Holtzman. And instead of waiting to the third round, he grapples early this time, which really opens up his strikes. And, and we see him got a, a finish on the feet there with Jeremy Stevens, um, you know, in a bit of a slump, man. You know, he's lost four in a row, and he's kind of became a journeyman for these guys like Zabit and Cater to get a win over. He tried to bump up to lightweight a few weeks ago and bonehead move of pushing Drakkar close on the stage, ended up getting that fight canceled. And Maybe he's getting a little punished here, you know. He's, he's now taking a guy who a lot of people have a lot of hype around. But round one with Stevens, it's hard to get out of. He does come in with a whole lot of pressure. I think he absolutely won round one against Cater with the pressure, the nasty calf kicks, the body kick. And, and one thing I do like about Stevens is he's always got one extra punch on his combinations, and a lot of guys do. He's excellent about catching you when you guys are exiting. He's got just one more hook in the combination than a lot of guys do. And, and he's left a, you know, a highlight reel in his tracks throughout the UFC so far. But... You know, he's not had to defend a lot of these takedowns from guys like Aldo, Zabit, you know, Cater, 
Um, Zabit only one successful in getting down, but Zabit also the only one, you know, um, even attempting to get him down. But when you look at the past historically, um, wrestlers have called Jeremy Stevens some issues. And Gamrod over here, unfortunately, you know, day one of ADCCs. But, you know, he's surviving seven minutes on the mat with Gary Tone and just another testament to how good his ground game is. And I think he breaks Jeremy Stevens' late potential third-round finish on the table. Um, or it could just very easily be like a 30-26. I think this is another position where the live bet could be good in Gamrot's favor. You mm -hmm. talked about Jeremy Stevens being good in that first round. Yeah. Um, a great fight to look at is the Frankie Edgar fight, where Frankie shot for, I think, four takedowns in that first round and was unsuccessful right. on all of them, but ultimately got five takedowns in that whole fight, and it all all of them happened after Jeremy Stevens was a little bit tired. Yeah. And Frankie, similarly to, or Gamrot, similarly to Frankie, will not stop shooting those right. takedowns. And it's going to be something that Jeremy Stevens will have to uh, stay on top of, which I think at 35 years old, going up to this new weight class, a bigger opponent, yep. um, he's going to have some fucking issues. And although uh, the the only thing that kind of gives me a little bit of worry is uh, Gamrot's um, inexperience in the UFC against a veteran like Jeremy Stevens. Maybe he has a couple tricks up his sleeve, but barring a, a crazy knockout from Jeremy Stevens, I think that we're going to see an absolute master class uh, pretty much everywhere from Gamrot. You and me both. Our co-main event is an interesting fight in the women's bantamweight division where we see Marion Renault, who's 9-7, and seven, taking on Misha Tate, who is 18-7. and Marion Renault training out of Trifecta MMA over there in California. Um, I know I said it last time we were breaking um, her fight down when she was fighting Macy Chase on. Worried about playing dodgeball with kids mm -hmm. in um, a family-friendly environment. Similar to Wonder Boy, man, um, it's not going to prepare you sometimes you know, for a fight. To be the oldest person on the roster, man, you, you definitely can't tell it. She always does look in incredible shape to be 44 years old. But right now, just kind of in the slump of her career and probably thanking Misha for coming back and keeping her spot on the roster, if I'm honest with you. Misha Tate has been doing a lot of her work out of Extreme Couture in Vegas with a lot of the strength and conditioning handed, handled by the training lab. And physically, man, she, she does look like she's in the best shape of her life. We have not seen Misha Tate um, since 2016 at UFC 205 when Conor McGregor won his second belt. So, to be honest with you, I never thought you and I would be breaking down a Misha fight, or Misha Tate fight together here. It is an extremely, extremely close fight to cap. You know, we've seen the odds flip. Um, I might have bet Misha as an underdog. I'm absolutely not going to bet Misha as a favorite here, but I will put the hat on the line and back my girl on her five-year return here. I'm going to go with Misha Tate, but man... Um, it's just because we had to pick a fight here that's almost a coin flip, but I will back my girl. Yeah, I don't think either one of us are going to be tore up or think that we deserve the casual yeah. cap if either of these girls win or lose. Um, but you're right. It's uh, it's easy to kind of take the shot on Tate when there's a bunch of unknowns when you've seen what <laughs> Renault has to offer yeah. right now. You know, She is on the L4 with her last win. Coming over somebody who actually kind of resembles Misha Tate's game mm -hmm. plan and, and Sarah McMahon, right. who... A uh, primary wrestler that just gasses, and, and Renault was able to submit her. Um, I could really see that with Misha oh, Tate yeah. here, you know? <laughs> primary wrestler, hasn't been in the cage very often. Small uh, cage, too. Yeah, and after after some a few exchanges, you know, she might be like, fuck, 34 feels a whole lot different than my fucking 20s, you yes. know? I, uh, I think that um, Renault does have a, a decent shot, you know, she is one of those girls whose game really doesn't start until the fight hits the mat. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Misha Tate's probably going to welcome, you know? Um, Marion Renault, I think the biggest knock on her career is probably that she has terrible wrestling, but mm -hmm. she does have really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, 
seems like if you if you look at her fight uh, or her fights, she slows down about middle of the way through. Yeah. So it's not like we're banking that Renault or I'm going into this thinking that Renault has exceptional cardio. I just think maybe better cardio right. than Misha Tate. Um, and then my other knock on Renault is that she does have a tendency to get controlled against the cage, mm -hmm. but two much bigger opponents and people like Mechi Chasson, who's 5'10", Raquel Pennington, who's 5'9", Yana Kunitskaya, who they've got listed at 5'6", but after seeing her against Caitlin Vieira mm -hmm. and all of her other past opponents, I'm thinking she's like 5'8", dude. Like, she's pretty big. Yeah. Um, Misha's 5'6", has a 2-inch reach disadvantage against Renault. And it could be the perfect opponent for Renault to finally break this four-fight losing mm -hmm. streak. Um, you know, you talked about Misha Tate, the way she looks on Instagram right now, man. Fuck. I think she's <laughs> juiced to the gills. Coach and does Cal it. putting in some EPO in yes, there. Dude. <laughs> I don't think she gives a fuck if she gets a suspension after this fight. She's just coming to fight because she looks in incredible shape. Yeah. Um, but to, to take five years off and then jump right back into UFC talents, uh you know she's asking for trouble there you know maybe uh, as far as warm-up fights goes this is about as easy right, of a one yeah. that you she, can get she's not jumping back to the top of the division by no means right but uh that being said you know we're talking about uh, marion renault who's not looking good against mm -hmm. raquel pennington and macy chasson like with the future of the division so. uh, these are tough girls to look good against at 44 years old i think misha tate coming off of a half decade layoff is somebody that you could look good against i think it's a good fight for for mm -hmm. the casual calf you know i'm not really sure which way uh, which way it's going to go, but I'm happy that we're putting it on this one. And I honestly think in these last six years, we've seen the sport of MMA make strides, man. So many new weapons being added to it, so many camps exploding up. Um, I think, you know, the game, it, it very well could have passed Misha Tate at this point, and we'll see on Saturday. But what I do keep going back to, um, she's paved the way for these fighters, for a lot of fighters. She's strike force, man. She's been pro since, like, 07. Been at the highest level of the sport, fought the best girls, primary lifelong wrestler we've seen Kat Zingano land like six takedowns of Marion Renault I think Misha's got the wrestling chops to always go back to that to bully Renault up against the fence later in the rounds to land one of those takedowns round five against Holly Holm she's got that gas tank and that grit that we've always seen from her there's just a ton of questions man about this six high this six year layoff so not gonna see a bet from either one of us on either side here but I will take the casual cap on my girl Misha Tate cool cool in our main event, we go to the lightweight division where we have Islam Makachev, who's 19-1, and taking on Tiago Moises, who's 15-4. and Islam Makachev, he trains out of AKA with all of his Russian brothers, mm -hmm. uh, Khabib. Cousins. Zuba, yeah, <laughs> cousins. Uh, he is here to pick up where Khabib left off, yeah. man. Um, he is 19-1 and with that singular blemish on his record coming uh, in 2015 when he was 23 years old. Uh, slipped up and got caught. Um, but that's something that we should take note of. He is not invincible, mm -hmm. and I think that that's what we really need to recognize in this fight. Um, Islam, you know, as far as as far as the grappling goes, there's nobody really on his level currently right. in that division, in my opinion. Um, me and you have talked about it, and I think he probably um, has the edge in grappling over everybody, yeah. um, unless Khabib decided to come right. back. Um, he also, even in a striking, he's he's gotten better at that too he's, he's really good at creating a, a rhythm um, by touching his opponent's lead hand and kind of lulling them to sleep and then unloading with some some sneaky power mm -hmm. um tiago moises he's only 26 years old and honestly found his stride in his last three fights um he's training out of a great team as well at american top team and man it is tough to see a plus 540 yeah. on somebody like moises here 
Uh, I mean, Moises, you know, his specialty is jiu-jitsu and grappling, and he's a type of fighter where um, he's got the base that he needs, and now at 26 years old, we're seeing significant improvements in his striking uh, fight after fight after fight. Mm -hmm. And uh, here in this position, I think that he is live, especially at a plus 540. I think that's nuts. You know, we're talking about somebody who's probably Islam Makachev's toughest fight to date. And Islam's been in some pretty rel relatively close fights, like with Armin Saryukin. Uh, I think that this is why, uh, lined way out of proportion. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to convince uh, <laughs> you to play it on the podcast or take a stab at Moises. Um, but I, I also, you know, I'm always open to it if you want to. <laughs> I agree with you, man. 540 against anyone is just flat out nuts. You know, we saw Shadow Malley have difficulty finishing Chris Moutinho mm -hmm. last week. With Islam here, you know, the way DC talks about this guy, this guy is the limit. He talks about in an open mat, this guy is a better wrestler than Khabib. And, and you're right, going forward, um, sitting at number nine, he wins this one. And, and there's some top guys that are going to be forced to take a very, very difficult matchup. Um, and unlike Khabib, you know, he came into the UFC at 23 and 24. He wasn't groomed with these, um, you know, no-name fighters with no records. You know, Islam has been brought into the fire pretty early. Um, and you're right, he has had that one slip-up against Adriano Martinez or something pretty young. And, and I will say, going into that Drew Dober fight, it made me weary about wanting to put Islam anywhere in a, you know, a parlay or anything, sitting at the minus 350. But it, the writing was really all over the wall, and Dober's struggles to defend takedowns his whole career. Islam literally needed one takedown, and Dober didn't get off the mat each round, and he found that finish in round three. And not only that, you know, Islam absorbs only .77 strikes per minute. It is the lowest in the UFC by far. There's not another fighter on the roster, minimum of five fights, that are under one. Um, so his striking defense is incredible. On the side of Moises... American Top Team might be one of the best camps, at, especially as a lightweight, that you can be at. You know, he's got Moicano, he's got Gamrot, who's on the card. You've got Dustin Poirier training there. A um, ton of good names for you. And like Islam, you know, 23 years old, Moises is thrown to the heat. Benil Dairouche at 23 years old in, in your UFC debut. Two fights later, it's Demiris Magulov, who's a dark horse in this whole division. Um, you combine that with the time spent as the RFA champion, a little bit of time in LFA, the contender series. You know, five rounds is not new to Tiago Moises. It's new to Islam Makachev. So I do know um, Tiago Moises is going to have the cardio, um, especially if this were to go late. But when you look at his, you know, the three wins that he's on, and um, Michael Johnson was, you know, a takedown away, I guess, from 10-8ing him that first round because of the striking differential. And when it hit the mat, I, I, there was levels for sure. But, man, Michael Johnson, I could see it in his face, sitting right in front of his corner and getting no coaching on how to escape that. It sucked for him. And then the Bobby Green fight, um, it's patented Bobby Green fight. You know, it's a super, super close fight. I rewatched it. I do think the person, the right person got it. It's the Hernandez fight where I really thought he started putting everything together, and, and I really think these improvements started to show, um, and he won round three yet again, which is something that shows me this guy's got cardio for days. I just really think that, um, you know, the grappling is just, it's far on another level when it comes to Islam. Um, I don't want to touch the money line anywhere. I've taken a stab on him by decision, which sucks to hope a fight goes all five rounds and bank on that. But I do think Islam takes a decision sitting at about plus 100. I think there's about 15 to 20 minutes of riding time accumulated on this. So, you know, I, I just still have an issue with this line, man. I'm looking at it right here, and Islam, he's closing right now at a minus 850-ish. You know, we look at we look down the list of when he's been favorites. He's a minus 360 against Armin Saryukin. 
um, a minus 600 against Cajun Johnson, yeah. you know? Tiago Moises is easily... I, I think the Davi Ramos fight's pretty tough, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I think Tiago Moises is easily his toughest fight to date, and we're getting the widest odds that Islam's ever yeah. seen. Um, I think it's really, really easy to come off a fight like that Dober fight and, and be as big of a favorite as he is. But like we said at the beginning, he's he's not invincible, and it's something that you got to take into consideration that this is MMA, and Moises isn't Chris Moutinho, mm-hmm. a debutante coming right. in fighting not somebody Chris like it. <laughs> right, 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 right. There's there's no reason why they should be disrespecting Moises mm-hmm. like this. And at the end of the day, there are so many things that could happen, like leg breaks or mm-hmm. um, you know Moises locking up an ankle lock out of nowhere, pulling right. a, you know doing an Imanari roll or something. Um, this is this is a game of variables. And as far as I'm concerned, I think Moises uh, wins this more than 15 percent of the time. Yeah, okay. I couldn't agree with you more, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does break down. I think only 11 fights this week for us. We've had quite a few um, you know, fights fall off. It's supposed to be headlined by Max and Yair. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we end up with this one, man. you got to look down through the list, let the public know what's your favorite fight on the card. Which one is it? It's got to be the Gamrot versus Jeremy yeah. Stevens fight. Um, we think it's going to be an ass-whooping from mm-hmm. Gamrot, but if it isn't, we're guaranteed a good fight if Jeremy Stevens is involved. For sure, man. I'm actually just going to go right back to the main event that we were just talking about. Um, the line has a little bit to reflect, you know, as to why I think people need to pay attention for this. But more side of, you know, Khabib started really getting that following. And, you know, I know Islam's not the most exciting fighter, but, man, if you really can get that hype behind him, you know, Khabib never had to do the talking or anything. Islam's not going to have to. Um, I like seeing a dominating grappler take out some of these guys. So, um, the line's wide as well, and Tiago Moises um, is definitely deserving of a closer line, and, and I think that's going to get in his head some and make him come out with some fire on Saturday. As far as the fighter for watch to me, it's going to be Rodolfo Vieira. I love my jiu-jitsu guys. Um, I think as long as that little bit of cardio can be fixed just a tad bit, um, you know, he he has potential. But in this matchup, I really do think he's primed for a first-round submission to get right back on track, so I'm going to go with Rodolfo Vieira. I don't mind it. Uh, I'm not I'm not with you on it, but I, I hear you. Um, Amanda Lemos is yeah. going to be my fighter to watch. Uh, I think she's uh, she's got this one in the bag. This is her fight to lose, and I honestly think she's much more deserving of a minus 500 than Islam would be at any point in time here. For sure. If I had to pick an underdog there for you, I'm just going to steal the one we've already released out and put a unit on. Um, Billy Q, where we got him at a plus 170. Absolutely insane. I think stylistically... The cardio he has versus a guy who hasn't fought at featherweight in a year and just missed weight trying to. Um, stylistically, I think the fight is there for Billy Q to win. Uh, I'm going to have to take Dustin Stoltis. Uh, I, I think that he's, you know, right now at where he sits, he sits mm-hmm. at like plus 190, plus 195. Yeah. I don't think that's how you should take him. You take him at inside the distance plus 420, something like that. Uh, that's your best underdog play on the even card. round two if he's even more of a dog come live. Right, know? right. Uh, we're going to go ahead. Four unit, we already released, man. Gamrod is going to be our best bet for the card here. We we truly do think Jeremy Stevens coming up to lightweight, taking on someone like Gamrod. Stylistically, it is not a very good fight for him, and we expect Gamrod to drown him on Saturday, make him our best play. The hat is on the co-main event there between um, Marion Renault and Misha Tate. So make sure to hop in those comments. Let us know who you guys have, if it's Renault or if it's return to Misha Tate. Appreciate you guys watching. Tune in on Saturday. Peace. Thank you